So open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. And today, today we start a journey. I say a rather long journey, a journey within a journey. As today we come to study a new section in the book of Revelation, and I put the theme on your sermon notes. We're going to look at key characters in the end time drama, and we're going to look at the cast, the players that are in the end time drama. When we study the book of Revelation, we understand this is the end of history as we know it. It is a seven-year period that God is using to do what? What's he really trying to do? He's giving man one last chance. He's trying to, like, give him a countdown. You know, when I had my children, and they were very, very young, sometimes I got criticized. Hey, don't, you know, first-time obedience, count down. You know, it's like, you know, don't, don't do that. Don't count down. You know, it's like, you tell them to do it or they don't do it. Well, a lot of people don't understand. The tribulation is not first-time obedience in the sense that God is just saying, listen, I'm giving you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years. And throughout the book of the Revelation, and we're looking at the tribulation, people are being pounded by God, and they're being pounded by God to basically repent. And we've already studied and seen in different passages where mankind just won't repent. They won't repent. They won't repent. And so when we look at the book of Revelation and you say, well, this is all just future events. Why do we have to deal with this day? Because hopefully it reminds all of us where history is going and why it's important to not pursue the world and to seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. Remember, remembering that this world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. So what I want you to understand is as John is taking us through this book, as we come to chapter 12, we are coming to a section that is going to cover chapters 12, 13, and 14. And they are just one long section. And I'm really excited about this because I'm really believing this is going to enhance your understanding of the book of Revelation. It's going to enhance your understanding about the tribulation. And I believe this helps you to understand human history. And in understanding human history, you get a better understanding of God. So, so much comes into this. So this section really, really helps you understand God. And let me just read verses 1 and 2. Revelation 12, 1 and 2. As we recognize chapters 12, 13, and 14 all come together. Verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to have you fill in the blank. It's Israel. I believe this is Israel. And Israel is the very first character that we are going to see. This is the first of ten characters. There are nine more to come. Today we're going to get into three of them. And, you know, you have your sermon notes. And on your sermon notes, I love it. Clara wonderfully put this, like, a cast of characters on the back. Um, this is the joy, I think, of studying the book of Revelation verse by verse and with them trying to have an understanding where I'm not just coming today to give like a sermon to get you to do something. 
I'm trying to give you an understanding. And what was so exciting for me as I came to chapter 12 is that I realized that this plays out like a, a, a giant movie or TV show, a drama. And, and when you come to chapter 12, what happens is, is we get a series of characters. And so Israel's going to be the first one. Then we're going to see a, a, a dragon's going to be the second. Then we're going to work all the way down, all the way through chapters 12, 13, and 14. And you ever watch a movie or a TV show and they say, you know, here's the cast in order of appearance. And sort of that's sort of what is going to happen because we're going to see this woman appear and we're going to find out she's Israel. Then this dragon's going to appear. And then we're going to come back to this woman's child. And then the woman's going to interact with her child. And then we're going to see what the, what the, what the dragon does. And we're going to have new characters come in. It's really amazing because when you go all the way to the end of chapter 14, the, the, I mean, you're going to see a series of characters called the Reapers. The Reapers will be the very last ones. So that's what you're gonna see play out. And I know that as I was working through this, I, I, I struggled with this, but I thought, what is really going on here? And so what I wanted you to understand is, first and foremost, chapters 12 to 14 are one unit of thought, and it ends with the Reapers. Now, how do I know that? Well, because look at the end of chapter 11, and chapter 11, Verse 15 is the seventh trumpet judgment. Remember we have said that in the book of Revelation, to really get your understanding about what's happening, you have to understand that you have these three series of main judgments. Seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bowl judgments. God is the one who has arbitrarily given these names. Seals because they were on the outside of the document. Trumpets because they are announcing something. Bowls because as they pour them out, they, they are very, very complete. You pour out a bowl of soup, bowl of something. So, you know, I, I know for myself, I've always struggled. Why does God call those names those names he does? Um, you know, that's the best we can tell. The seals were on the document from chapters four and five. The trumpets are like blaring their announcements. Bowls, we're gonna, it's the finalized. So when you open up the seal judgments, there are seven of them. And on the seventh one, it rolls into the trumpets. And when you have the trumpets, the last one rolls into the bulls. With the bulls, that's the end. When we came to chapter 11, verse 15, we said that the seventh trumpet was sounding. Look at verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, so trumpets sound, boom. We should roll right into the seven bull judgments, but we don't. We go to chapters 12, 13, and 14, and then all of a sudden you jump to chapter 15, and this is why I want you to see, it's almost like 12, 13, and 14 are in between, in between the um, <laughs> seven trumpet sounding and the bull judgments beginning. So chapter 15, verse 1 Chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had the seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. God's wrath is finished. Chapter 15 rolls into like a, a preliminary introduction. And then many of your Bibles have in chapter 17, 16 a heading, something about the bulls. Um, mine even breaks it up. Six bulls of wrath for the first um, part of the chapter, and then the seventh is going to be included in that chapter as well. So 
that is why I say chapters 12 to 14 are one unit of thought. Now, for those of you who weren't with us in previous studies, we had a major breakthrough a couple weeks ago prior to Mother's Day. Our two previous studies, I went into great detail about what I'm going to share here. We had a major breakthrough for understanding the book of Revelation. And it's real simple. If you, and I'm just going to summarize it here. And I know this is going to be a longer narrative, but what is, we found out is when chapter 10 occurred, when chapter 10 occurred, John was given a little book, and every conservative, conservative commentary agreed. It's this uh, book that is telling us the rest of the tribulation. It's fascinating when you understand it. And the people who don't get this really get lost often in the book of Revelation. And so, you know, you can study and study and study, and, 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 and you come to the 10th chapter, and if you don't grasp what's going on, you really are lost. And what we want you to understand is this. Revelation is told differently from chapter 11 on, since John now has the open book of chapter 10, verses 2 and 8, these chapters from 11 on emphasize the end of the tribulation and some related backstory to the part being told. Because what we want you to grasp and what we want you to understand, and I tell you if you weren't here, go back and listen to those podcasts or look at the YouTube video. But the idea is, and I know this can seem like overboard. Mike, you're really telling us a lot here, but it's so important that you understand that when you came to chapter 10, John is no longer just being told like in sequence what has happened. Remember chapter four, he's called up to heaven and he says, uh, he's been told, look at what's happening. And, and he constantly says, and I saw, and I saw, I saw. It's all very chronological. It's all very sequential. But when John is returned back to earth, which a lot of people miss, he's given the book that we believe is the rest of the tribulation. And every section from that point on is like a big picture backstory. So we, Chapter 11 talked about the two witnesses for the entire second half of the tribulation, but took you to the very end, and they were killed at the end, which led to all of Israel getting saved. Then the seventh trumpet goes, that's the end. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are going to tell us the story about Israel and Satan. That's what 12, 13, and 14. Chapters 15 and 16 tell us all about the, the final ending and the things that are around the ending with the seven bull judgments chapter 17 and 18 take us through the backstory of babylon all the way through history to the very end so it's critical that you understand that when we come to 12 to 12 13 and 14 that i wish they were all one chapter but you got to remember these are human divisions and maybe for like Ease of thought, people said, well, we kind of break this up. But it would have been really better if chapters 12, 13, 14 were all one big chapter. Because John is now saying, I think it's very important that you understand this backstory and how important these characters are. And so I want you to understand as we come to this chapter, it is the beginning of a long journey within a journey. Because obviously studying Revelation is a journey but here is a key journey within that journey. And as we come to these chapters, boy, you talk about symbolism in the book of Revelation. 
we're talking about this woman clothed with the sun, and we're going to talk about a dragon, and we're going to talk about all these symbolic images throughout chapters 12, 13, and 14. And we just got to keep remembering what we started with. And we said, when you come to the book of Revelation, there is a blessing. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, if you read this book and it, you heed it, it changes you. And the reason you can be blessed and heed it is because it's understood. We said how critical it is to understand that the book of Revelation, using just normal reading principles, can be understood. And why that's so important is because so many people come to this part and say, Oh my goodness, the symbolism is out the window. You can't make heads or tails of it. This is just, this is all just, you know, hooey, and this is just, you know, makes the book of Revelation where I can't understand it. Listen, I'm going to tell you the fact that people say that, that's an absolute lie. And I'm going to tell you that, the, that people think this is all just based on wild mythology. It's a lie. And I'm going to tell you that, that this the fact that people say this has no meaning is also a lie. Because this is a book that can be understood, and this section can be understood, and this is just not mythology lies, and this is not just something that can be um, filed away as something that, boy, I'll never get my arms around this, all right? So here we go. What we're going to do is we're just going to look at the first three characters in our play. The first three characters. And the very first one is the woman clothed with the sun. Let's read it again. So in case you forgot, 12, 1 to 2 says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. So the play opens up, the curtain folds, and guess who comes out? Israel. She is Israel. And it's so important that we recognize that Israel has a prominent key part in end times. This is the group of people that physically came from the patriarch Abraham. These are a nation of people with direct physical descent from Abraham. That alone is amazing. To think that if you are Jewish, to think if you are Jewish, that you know who your great-great-great-great-grandfather is. You know, think about that. That is absolutely amazing. I don't know if I've like, ever thought about it as I was preparing it this week. As I was thinking about the play, how this all played out. I mean, I recently had my Ancestry.com thing done and traces us back to Europe. And, and I thought, you know, who are, who are my ancestors? I just think that's absolutely fascinating. You know, Alicia did that thing on Rob Provost, just as kind of like a side note. Rob Provost came from the French Huguenots, and they were able to trace their history back. And for those of you who know the history of the Huguenots, they were almost totally exterminated one night in France. And the very night that they came in to kill the majority of the Huguenots, someone came in to Rob's great-great-great-grandfather and said, you got to get out of town tonight. And he did, and that's the reason the Provost family line is in play. It would be fascinating if I was Jewish to say, oh my goodness, you know, I know, I know about my great-great-grandfather. Think about it. You literally came from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the story. So look at this. A great sign appeared in heaven. And so 
the word sign there is the first of seven references to a sign. Now, because this is a jet tour, we're not going to take you through all of them. I just want you to understand, it's interesting, as in this section that is different from the first half of tribulation, it's interesting from this point on, the word sign becomes significant, and it'll be used six more times. Six more times. And if anybody wants those references, I'll send them to you. But I'm just going to point out that these signs become very, very critical. And this is the first one. And it's not just an ordinary sign. It's a great sign. What's a great sign? Well, a sign, remember, points to something beyond itself. Jesus healed someone. That's a sign. But what was it pointing to? It was that he had power or that he was God. And so this is something significant. It is a great sign. It appeared where? This is on earth. It's in heaven. So John is now seeing this as he's, I believe, looking through this book. And it's a great sign. It's appearing in heaven. And it's a woman clothed with the sun. And this woman is the, was, is the second of four women in the book of Revelation that play a key role. Now, again, because of the topical study, somewhat, we're not going you know, into all the depth. I would tell you that if you want to do a study on f- women, there are four key women in the book of Revelation. The first one is Jezebel in chapter 2. This was the second one. The third one is um, um, the um, woman who's the harlot in Babylon in chapter 17. And then the woman who uh, is in chapter 19, the bride of Christ. So four women play a key role in the uh, book of uh, Revelation. Now, this is a, a great and wondrous sign. Un- Dr. Thomas says, undoubtedly the sign provoked wonder, as indicated in the King James Version and NIV, but the translation, a great sign, is more accurate. Since John did not use the Greek word for wonder, normal word for wonder, teros, this was the first of a series of events called signs or miracles. As signs, they were symbols of something that God was about to reveal and usually contained an element of prophetic warning. Though this sign was seen in heaven, the events which follow all occur on earth. So, how do I say this is Israel? And, you know, I don't always like that, get you confused going back and forth, but I'll tell you what, this is a passage you should go see. Back in the book of Genesis, if you'll turn there, Genesis chapter 37, when Joseph, you know, they made a play that Joseph in his coat of many colors and technicolors, you know, his story is told in the last oh, section of, of Genesis, chapters, I think, 37 to 50. And in Genesis 37, he's telling his brothers a dream. And, and this dream of the patriarch Joseph, who is part of the key you know, family of Israel, he tells them about this dream. And it says in verse 9 of chapter 37 of the book of Genesis, Now he had still another dream. And he related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and his brothers. And his fathers rebuked him and saying to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept, us, kept the saying in mind. And so what I want you just to see now, if you flip back to Genesis, I mean, to Revelation, when it, we see this woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head were 12 stars, 
Joseph mentioned 11, but he would be the 12th. That picture, that symbol represents his family, the clan that we now call Israel. And so that's where that came from. So when God brings this up and he's telling us the story of what's going on in the tribulation, he's telling us there's a sign and it represents Israel. And the, you know, the, the sun with the brightness and its illumination, all of those aspects of it you know, being glorified represent the nation of Israel. Because remember, Israel is God's plan to have a kingdom on earth and everything's gonna flow out of Israel. And, and so we recognize the importance of Israel and how important it is when you think about how few churches today believe that Israel has a future, that Israel has a key part even in the tribulation, let alone if they even believe it there is. For us, though, we come and we recognize, wow, God is just trying to give us the backstory. Remember, he wants us to understand what is key in the tribulation, and Israel is key. Israel is a key major player. And, and so he now tells us about the story, I believe, about the birth of Jesus. And remember, this is just trying to give us backstory. So verse 2, and she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Now you say, wait a second. I thought Mary gave birth, not the nation of Israel. Well, this is like representative, you know, like a nation gives birth to a great leader or some expression along those lines. I believe that we're not just talking about Mary specifically, Mary being the mother of Jesus from Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 2, that this is, this is representing how the nation was to give birth to this child, the child that was to be given to the, to the nation, the child that's referenced in like Isaiah chapter 9 or Isaiah chapter 7, you know, the virgin would be with child. All of those aspects come together in the sense where we're looking at the nation as being the one who is giving, giving birth to their leader. And so when we recognize this, we recognize that God is bringing in this player Israel and how Israel was going to give birth to this one who would be, be, we know, the leader. And she cries out being in labor and in pain to give birth. And we're going to see the next character is going to come and try to kill. But what I want to just focus one more verse here is Israel is a key player. And passage after passage after passage in the scriptures speak of Israel having a future. Israel having an eternal future. And here's a passage that we read many months ago, but I want to read it one more time. And I want you to listen to the security that God gives Israel. This is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 35 to 37. And basically what this is trying to say, this verse is going to say is, life as we know it on the entire earth would totally collapse if Israel didn't have a future. Jeremiah says... Jeremiah 31, verses 5 to 7. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord. If the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. And so it's, like, it's not only like if the sun would stop and if you could even, then, then Israel would stop. And then if you could even measure heaven, then Israel would stop. But you can't ever come to, to, to the end of either one of those with life as we know it. 
because God has a future for Israel. And Israel's um, been promised a kingdom. And another set of verses I would give you from Isaiah 65 to Ezekiel 37, Daniel 2, Zechariah 8, pounding, 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 pounding. God has an eternal kingdom for Israel. Israel is going to play a key role in the end times. And so that is why over the past month we've been so excited with the fact that we have seen out of, I call it Resurrection Sunday, but the world calls it Easter. Easter Sunday, there was problems on the Temple Mountain, Israel. And an article from the Jerusalem Post said, it's time that we bring the world together and we rebuild the temple here on the Temple Mount. We don't have to remove the Dome of the Rock for the, the, for the Muslims. We can build right next to it and we can get this going. Well, why is that significant? Because in the end times, Israel is going to be a key player. We know that Israel is going to have the temple up and going, and we know that the Antichrist is going to come into the middle of the tribulation and declare himself to be God. So absolutely, Israel has a future. Who's the next player? Well, here we go. He's a dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Look at verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, and when she gave birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Well, here is this dragon. And who is it? But I believe this is Satan. And... A dragon is a character that is, a, is sort of like a, a, a fire-breathing dinosaur, if you will. And there's been cave drawings with dinosaurs that have fire coming out of their mouth. We don't know if dragons ever existed, and, and we don't know exactly if a man really saw them, but those drawings are kind of interesting. We do know mythology talks a lot about dragons, and there's a lot of his, historical old documents of people talking about dragons. So did John and God just say, let's pull some mythological animal out? I don't know. I, all I can tell you is that people understand dragon. Today you could talk about a dragon, and people would think of either Puff the Magic Dragon, or you might think of you know some other movie with a dragon. You would grasp it. I think in the culture, people even understood with the stories they had back then, these dragons were menacing creatures. And, and so here's this dragon, and you think, Mike, are you taking the symbolism, and you're just, um, you're coming and, and, and putting your thoughts that this is Satan? And the answer is no. <laughs> because you look down at verse 9, and as we move through the story, when we we come to verse 9, it's going to become very explicit. And, and the great dragon was thrown down, and here's the explanation. The serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan. So I could have put the devil and Satan, but I just put Satan up there. He's Satan. And we'll get into all those descriptions when we come to verse 9. But I just want you to see it's explicit. So we understand this dragon's on the scene. Who is he? He is Satan. And, and so to get the backstory, he appears in heaven. He's a great red dragon. He's not a small one. He's a great one. He's red. Blood is often thought to be tied with the color red, um, fitting with the characteristic of this one who is a liar, who is a killer, who is evil. And so that was the idea of menacing with the idea of he's a great red dragon. And he has seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads were seven diadems, like seven crowns. So here is where you come into where, look, 
if I really wanted to bog us down, and maybe you feel bogged down already, and I don't want to bog people down, but I want you to understand this is where the world really is like in the dark. They have no clue as to what's happening in human history. This is where we as Christians, we understand significance. We understand that there are seven kingdoms that have been world powers that have taken over Israel, all right, in history. Well, I want to say six have already done it. And, and, and what, what we know is, this is from the book of Daniel, chapters 2 and chapter 7. And I, on my video, even this week, I commended our Tuesday night Bible study. Carl did a great job. We went through this with great detail. And we looked at this, and we understood that God has allowed, incredibly, Satan to have seven kingdoms that, that he's going to have dominate over the world, and especially Israel. These are the seven. Number one were the Egyptians. Number two are the Assyrians. Number three, this begins the book of Daniel, the Babylonians. Number four are the Medes and Persians. Number five are the Greeks. Number six are the Romans. Number seven is yet to come. It's the rebirth of the Roman Empire. And so when you see, when you see, he says, he appeared having seven heads. It's, the, it's from Daniel chapter 7, so that none of you, you know, um, think that I'm just making this up. You can go back and you can study it. And it ties in even to Daniel chapter 8. The seven heads are these seven kingdoms that God has allowed Satan to have his way with the world slash Israel. And you say, well, what is going on here? Well, there's a great demonstration I believe that apart from God's goodness, there is no goodness, and there's, there, there's, a, there's evil getting its, its heyday, and God is showing us that he's going to be more powerful than evil, and, and Satan is getting to run these kingdoms. But what's the ten have to do with anything? Well, the last one, based upon Daniel 2, and da, I mean, yeah, Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, is that there's going to be some grouping of ten, ten things that are going to come together, whether it's ten nations, ten leaders, Daniel 2, it's 10, ten toes. Uh, every time these are put together, they're described as a grouping of 10. So there could be 10 nations, 10, 10 regions of the world. Listen, we don't know right now. We do know, based on Daniel 2, that it is a, some, something out of the Roman Empire. And, and so we do know that Satan is going to control these, and there's going to be this grouping in the end of 10. And so, why do I say this is a great study for understanding end times? Because you come to this, and you read this, and you say, well, look at this symbolism, and I'm lost. Well, this really forces you to go back into the Old Testament and study and understand what God has said. Because remember, Daniel is the backbone of prophecy, and Daniel really reveals so much about what's in the book of Revelation. And for those of you who regularly attend CFC, you know that when we started Revelation, I sent out a verse, I mean, I sent out a PDF that had every verse of the, of the book of Revelation tied to Old Testament verses. And amazingly, in the book of Revelation, there is no direct quote of an Old Testament passage, but there are references like we just saw in chapter 12, verse 1 to Genesis 37. And so these seven Heads and ten horns are tied to Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and I think also Daniel 8. And so 
Verse 4, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven. Because all we're doing is building this cast. We're, we're playing, we're, we're going to play out this great drama. And we want to see who we're dealing with. Well, we're dealing with this dragon who had this giant tail and a third of the stars and threw them to the earth. Well, based upon passages like Ezekiel 14, no, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and Daniel chapter 8, I think it's 8:10, that we believe Satan was able to take down one-third of the angels. So we call them demons. In chapter 7, we saw that there's an army of demons that you can't even seem to count, um, whether it's the locust or whether it's the 200 million, which you could count, demonic army. When we look at pictures of God with angels, and it talks about myriads and myriads and tens and thousands and thousands of angels, and those are the good angels, and we realize that this is symbolic, these ideas of stars. It's, I'm pretty sure the Daniel um, 8 passage references the stars as angels. The idea is, how many angels are there? And when Satan took a third, is it like 300? You know, it, it's in the billions. How Satan was able to do this? Well, Ezekiel talks about his politicking, his maneuvering. I believe the way he lied to the other angels and somehow, some way, those angels weren't elect and they, they gave in and they were tricked. And I think it's one of the most horrific pictures of how powerful sin is. What do I mean by that? Without going into the great detail, Satan is considered based upon the passages I referenced in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, the greatest being ever created. But think about it, you're an angel and you see Satan as this beautiful creature that was created before he fell and you see God in heaven. And somehow Satan is able to convince you as an angel, come with me, I'm more important. And, and logically, you as an angel says, oh, I'm gonna go with you. I mean, do you understand how scary that is and how it makes all of us humble to be so fearful of sin and why I encourage you regularly to be in your word because God's word is a lamp under my feet, a light under my path. This is why you need it. Satan's word, Satan constantly is contradicting God, attacking God. And it's fascinating. It's the Ezekiel 28 passage that talks about the fact that he was politicking, that he was aggressively maneuvering the other angels to come and follow him. Well, his angel, verse four, his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven threw them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth he might devour her child well this is taking us then to the picture of how satan tried to kill jesus when you look at the stories of of herod in the old testament i mean in the books of in the book of matthew or you talk about the fact that you look at the ministry of jesus and how the jewish leadership was always trying to kill him and then they finally do kill him but obviously, we know that was all in God's plan, that Jesus was going to die to pay the penalty for sin. But what we recognize is that Satan has always been trying to be against the Jews, whether it's the book of Esther or whether we look in history to an Adolf Hitler who has tried to wipe out the Jews. And it is a constant passion of his. If he could destroy the Jewish people, he could destroy God's plan. And so it's here just focused on Jesus. I believe we understand that he was trying to come and he was trying to um, destroy Jesus. 
So that, that's just the story. Remember, this is just a backstory. You've noticed we're through four verses. There are no commands here. This is all just trying to get you to understand. He's not going to say, you know, do this, do that. No commands. Just understanding. Now, here we go to the next one. Verses five and six. Next character. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she was where she had, play, had a place prepared by God, so there she would be nourished 1,260 days. Now, how do I know that this is who it is? Well, I believe this is Christ. You could have said Jesus. He is Jesus Christ. How do I know this? Because, well, Israel did have the son that Isaiah said. Remember Isaiah said, a child will be given to you on his shoulders. You know, wonderful counselor, priest, um, the prince of peace, all those things. He is that child, and the very fact that, look at the second line of verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who's to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This is exactly what Psalm 2 talks about, and in essence, Isaiah, I think it's 65, 66, talks about the, the Messiah. And we know Jesus is the Messiah. John chapter 1 declares Jesus is the Messiah. This is Jesus Christ. And so that's how we know the next player is a key player in this. This is Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, as I said, 12, 13, and 14 are all together. This one comes back with the reapers, the very last group in chapter 14. So we're putting this play together. So she gives birth to a son. A male child, he's to rule all the nations, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Big sweeping picture of the ascension of Jesus. That Jesus. This is not just the resurrection. This is the ascension, Acts chapter 1. And we know that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. And where there's another big sweeping, remember, this is just trying to give you the big picture. And the big picture then in verse 6 is the woman fled into the wilderness. Well, wait a second. We just jumped several thousand years you catch that between five and six jesus you know ascends in about 30 AD. whenever the tribulation occurs she flees into the middle of the wilderness occurs in the middle of the tribulation this is what daniel talked about is the abomination of desolation when jesus says when you see this flee flee whatever you do run now i'm gonna leave this for your own study Romans, I mean, Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus talks about the event called the abomination of desolation. It's the event that I alluded to earlier when, when the Antichrist comes into the temple of God and he declares himself to be God. And that was warned to us that this is coming and this is going to happen. And because of that, Jesus knew it was coming and he told the Jewish people, when you see it, you better run. Where is the wilderness? Well, the wilderness, we believe, is the land of Jordan. And there's a passage in the book of Isaiah that talks about who's this coming from Bozrah. What is Bozrah? It's the land of Jordan. It's the land of Petra. And, and I, I've told you before, I've had the privilege of going there. And it's that place in Jordan where there are these caves. And there's endless amounts of caves and Austin and I had the opportunity to tour through these. And our tour guide told us that this is an incredible place in the world. And the, you, to get to this place, you have to go one mile in a, down a path of 
um, a mountain path. Literally, if you just went up, uh, you know, I don't know, 500 feet or something like that on both sides, and you had a narrow, narrow, maybe you could put at one point, you know, you could put a chariot down this path, and you have to walk this path for one mile, and then you come to that basic, um, um, like it looks like a temple that they used it in one of the Indiana Jones movies, but that's just the opening to the, to the area. To your right, you go down for a mile or two, several miles, maybe five miles, and there's all these caves that are hidden in the rocks. And our guide told us, yeah, if people wanted to, we believe we can estimate up to 5 million people could hide in this wilderness place. 5 million people. It, and it is so important that we understand. So when he says in verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness. So Jesus says, you better flee, get out, get out of Israel, run, 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 because now the Antichrist is coming to kill you. He's going to wipe all of you out. And so the Jews run into the place, look at prepared by God, so that there would be, she would be nourished 1,260 days. That expression, 1,260 days, is new, repeated in various ways throughout the book of Revelation. It's three and a half years. It's referenced as 42 months, 1,260 days, time, times, and half a time. Those are all expressions that reference three and a half years, which we believe is the second half of the tribulation. So remember, all of this is to tell you the backstory of the tribulation. What's happening in, in this chapters 12 to 13 and 14 is we're going to see that the Christ is going to play a key role. Satan's going to play a key role. Israel's going to play a key role. And just to let you know, Satan is going to energize the Antichrist. Who comes on one of our coming characters? Well, when we get to chapter 13, it's the Antichrist and then his false prophet. So all of these characters begin to play a role in this end time drama. All right, there you go. So no commands, but I gave you the start of a journey. If somebody really wants to understand the tribulation, you need to understand Israel's a key part, Satan's a key part, Jesus is a key part. If you know each one of these key roles, then boy, there's all this back out information with all of them. Bring, you bring all of that together. And when we're all done, we're going to have 10 of these and they're going to watch this whole thing play out. And in the end, God wins. And so it's fascinating how God gave John an open book in chapter 10. The story of tri the revelation, tribulation is being told differently from chapter 11 on, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, all the way. It's now with the complete back picture. And the reason is, which a lot of people don't understand, is because John's been given the completed book. And all of this reminds us that God wins. So let me just give you three spiritual lessons, though. Number one, God, we have to always remember, is faithful. God is faithful. God made promises to Israel, and Israel can trust them. Do you know why that's so important? Where a lot of people miss in their study of the book of Romans? When Romans chapter 8 ends, and it says, nothing can separate me from the love of God, neither height nor depth, nor angels nor principalities. Do you know what is the next chapter? You would think this great passage on assurance of salvation would take us maybe to some 
some, I don't know, uh, aspect of Christology or something. You know what it tells us? No, it takes us to Israelology, a study of Israel. Romans 9, 10, and 11 is all about how Israel has been cut off and has a, will be restored and has a future. Because if God is faithful to Israel, we can trust God for our salvation. And that's why it's so important to understand our theology and end times. And God is faithful. Number two, when you study a passage like this, you have to say, I got to understand the God, big picture about God and evil. Why does God let evil go? Why does God let Satan have seven kingdoms? Why does God give Satan this opportunity? And we believe from a dispensational perspective that God is putting on a great demonstration. I believe that God is showing that opposite of him, there is evil. And boy, human history has really shown that and how evil is really bad. And that evil is no small matter because we watch how people are murdered and raped and, and all kinds of vile things are happening in this world. Evil is not something that if we were created and put in the Garden of Eden and we said, you know, we, we never sinned and we wondered, hey, you know, you know, God, you know, is there anything, you know, if we disobeyed you, was there any, you know, would it really be that bad? It's like, well, God is like showing us. Yeah, it really is. And maybe in human history, it seems really long, 6,000, 7,000 years, however long human history is. But the reality of it is, this is like a blink in the eye in, in the eternity. But God is showing us about evil during this time. And he is, though, showing us as powerful as evil is, that God is more powerful. Because as much as Satan has tried to destroy God's plan and Satan is trying to rule the world, in the end, Satan loses. And that's why when we, you recognize the big picture, when you look for this great battle of Armageddon as we're going to, oh, you know, these forces push here and these for, forces push there. You know how Armageddon comes to an end? Jesus opens his mouth and says, you all die. <laughs> You're all dead. I mean, it's just, he's more powerful. And as much as we look at the power of evil, we have to recognize God is more powerful. Greater is he that's in you, that's in the world, right? But it's even bigger than that. And so studying Revelation has a great purpose because you understand the forces of evil are really pushing. But God is stronger. And that we also recognize that apart from God's goodness, there is no goodness. This is why you need to rely on God. And, and my last point then is that we recognize all of history is under God's control. And I'm telling you, you either be on God's side or you're a loser. And, and I don't want any of you to be losers because God's team wins in the end. And as much as it can look like we're behind right now, as I re related a couple weeks ago, the score is 1,000 to nothing. We're losing, and there's only a second to go. God, in a second, can score 1,001 points. And we have to recognize that God is allowing this demonstration for his purpose. I, I'm not as smart as God. I don't know all that God has planned and to explain to us, if he's even going to explain to us, but he is allowing us to see that evil through the book of Revelation loses. And so please make sure you're on the good side. If you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ today, have a fear of God, have a fear of this coming judgment because God is going to destroy all evil. This dragon is going to be killed. This dragon is going to lose and all of his followers. The only way for you to escape it is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you have to believe? Number one, that you're a sinner. Number two, that Jesus is God and man. Number three, that he died to pay the penalty for sin. Number four, he rose from the dead. And fifth, by faith alone, you have to believe upon him. 
Belief is not a one-time act, it's a lifetime act. When you turn from your sin and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, causing you to be born again, Jesus himself said, unless a man is born again, he doesn't go into the kingdom of God. For all of us who are believers, as we get wrapped up in life and it gets frustrating and we wonder about our supply chain and we wonder about a war in Ukraine and we wonder where is life going, ultimately we know that when it's all settled, all the dust is settled, we win. We win. And all these cast of characters are going to show us how it plays out. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for wanting to just sometimes not give us commands, but give us understanding. And I'm hoping that people today have not been too overwhelmed. But I do hope this spurs some people to study more and to look deeper, but also just then just to settle with the simple truth. God wins. And in the end, all who are on his team win. And I pray that if we believe it, this alters the way we think. Yes, you've called us to live simple lives, faithful lives, dependable lives, but you've also called us to, to serve and, and, and to live holy lives and to re- recognize that we're all going to have to answer to you. And I pray, God, with, with great love and concern for every person in this room, that there is a great desire that they're reading your word, light is coming into their life, and they're making personal decisions when no one else sees to honor you. And then that flows out into a life of service because the life that lives for you will be rewarded because your team wins. In Jesus' name, amen.